Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup. And you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Just two games remain on the Kings preseason schedule, and this is our final episode before we tackle our 10 biggest questions for the 2022-23 season with Nick Nixon and Jim Fox. That episode will be out Monday in advance of the season opener, but today, Zach Dooley and I are taking a final look back at the big questions we asked at the start of training camp. Then a conversation with Eric Stevens, who was kind enough to hang out with me after practice. Talk about his plans for covering the Kings for The Athletic. Hope you enjoy it. All right, we're revisiting the top 10 questions heading into training camp. Joining me, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, doing all right. I got to say, I would have expected a lot more answers by uh, two games left in training camp, but not a lot of answers. No, a um, few of these questions we can answer a bit. Some mm-hmm. of them have some new context. Some of them are maybe even more of a question <laughs> yeah. today than they were That's when right. we asked these questions two weeks ago. Yeah, so we'll just start at the, at, uh, the bottom. I was going to say at the stop, stop, but we'll start at the bottom. Uh, will any of the strong performances from, from rookie camp continue into training camp? I would argue that Brant Clark, um, not necessarily, although he has looked good, they were bound and determined to give him an opportunity to play as much as possible in the preseason. So even if he hadn't um, impressed, I think we were going to continue to see him play. But I think if he looked completely out of its depth, different approach might have been taken, you know? So he certainly held his own. Obviously he was one of the biggest takeaways uh, from that rookie tournament in San Jose. Um, He's certainly shown enough to, to turn what was, you know, already a complicated conversation into maybe more of a complicated Mm -hmm. conversation Uh, with his play. He's certainly shown some of the gifts that make him a special prospect um, and he's also gotten the opportunity to showcase some of the areas of his game that others might call a deficiency against higher level competition. And he seemed to hold his own. So very good showing from him for sure. Um, will it turn into him making the team? I think that remains to be seen. There's still two preseason games left. There's still a bit of a mix on the blue line. There's still a couple of players whose futures aren't hundred percent sure on the injury front. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but I think you're right. He is definitely the one who has carried over that play from rookie tournament into main camp. And in anticipation of that being the case, that's why question number nine was, what will the defense look like to start the season? And it is no clearer than it was on day one. There's still 10 defensemen in camp, and I would not be surprised if any of them were in the roster, were on the roster come opening night. Agree. Um, it's It's probably murkier today than it was at the beginning of camp because none of the 10 – have been, well, I mean, like, Drew Doughty's on the team, yes. right? And there's, there's a group of guys who are on the team, but of the guys who aren't yet on the team, none of them have been so amazing that it's like you can't play on opening night without these guys, and none of them have been so poor that you're like, well, he's played his way off of the team. Um, so these couple of games here will be important 
to determining what that defense looks like. There's the status of a guy like Sean Dursey, who hasn't played in the exhibition season yet. Todd McClellan today talked about how he's missed pretty much the entirety of training camp up until the last few days. You've got Sean Walker, who's now played two games coming off of his knee injury last year. And then you've got the young guys. You've got Jordan Spence. You've got Brent Clark, as we mentioned. You've got a Jacob Movarara, who is not exempt from waivers. You've got Tobias Bjornfoot, who has over 100 NHL games, played 70 games with the Kings last year. So you have a lot of interesting names in that mix. And like you said, there's there's none of those 10 who, if, if you said, hey, that's our number six guy on opening night, I'd be like, mind blown. Right. And this is the most matter of fact and explicit I think I've ever heard the coaching staff in the front office be about the contract status of all the players. Yeah. Right. It feels like every day when we're talking to somebody, you know, in media availability, the issue, like they're fully aware of the limitations that may wind up making the decision. And they are the ones sometimes introducing it into the conversation. For sure. It's it's not like even like a leading question. It's like, yeah, like waiver eligibility may play into the decisions that are made. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll prevent a player who has earned a spot on the team and will play every day from taking that spot. But might it make the decision a little bit easier for the 13th forward or the 7th defenseman? Like, I, I think it clearly could. And it plays a role in the forward uh, ranks, too. So that number question number 8 was how many from the class of 2017 and 18 uh, forwards will make the team? And really, that was just a way of asking about Jared Anderson, Dolan, Leish Anderson, Gabe Velarde, and Rasmus Kupari. There is, you know, and we'll get to this question next, there are health um Issues that could play out that might make some of these decisions easier. You know, if the right group of people need a little bit more time. But yeah. as it stands, I would argue that uh, Gabe Velarde is the is the most praised in that group of forwards. I can't remember if we put the over under there at two point five or three point. You said two point five. I said two. You said two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, th- I think Velarde has shown that one way or the other. You know, whether it's in Victor Arvidsson's spot to start the year if Arvidsson's not ready, um, or if it's somewhere else in the lineup or as an extra forward, I think he's earned his way onto this team Mm -hmm. without much doubt, um, barring any injury. We've gotten a lot of looks at guys like Anderson, Kupari, and Anderson Dolan uh, during the preseason. They've been given opportunities to play in the bottom six, different positions, different roles. All three of those guys can play center. All three of those guys can play wing. Um, but when you look at the breakdown of the team, there's not necessarily enough room for all three of those guys to be on the roster if everyone is at full go. So I think that line is still probably pretty safe. A couple of minor injuries, a couple of illnesses that have impacted what the roster potentially could look like. Um, I don't think it'll be four. I think it'll be either two or three. And we'll see how that kind of shakes out. You have to imagine we would know within the next 48 hours kind of where those guys stack up. Yeah, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. The team flies out to Utah tomorrow, two games left, and then Monday. Kind of Monday or Tuesday, the regular season starts? Tuesday is the first game. Okay, so Monday is the first day of regular season practice. And right. you have to – the way that you know Todd McClellan has kind of talked about these two final games, the Frozen Fury game in Utah and the home finale against the Ducks – we have to. I, I think we have a good sense that that game in Los Angeles will be pretty close to a full Kings roster, mm-hmm. players on their lines, players in their roles, all playing together. And the game in Utah, 
we'll probably be more of the guys in the bucket of need to see more from them. They need that extra game to get up to speed or they're still trying to battle for where they're going to shake out in the organization rather than another opportunity to see the full group. Question seven. I don't remember how I actually phrased it because on these notes I have right here, it was just health. Um, but given last season with all of the uh, players out of the lineup and then at the end of the year, four players uh, being mentioned as having shoulder issues, the question, of course, was how will everybody's yeah. health hold up in training camp? So far, we've seen Sean Walker in two games. We've not yet seen Sean Dersey in a preseason game, but he has been skating in a full contact jersey. Victor Arvidsson has gone from skating outside the group to inside the group with a red no contact jersey to now full participation, but has not yet played in a preseason game. Yeah. Guys have been held out. You know, Cal Peterson started a game, played one period, and then I guess came out 10 minutes earlier than he otherwise would have. It was listed as precautionary, and we saw him last night. So obviously, you know, he's not hurt so badly that he can't play a preseason game. So health is an evolving status. Yeah. I think think that maybe we underestimated – where Sean Dersey was at coming in. I think maybe he was more a little more in the rehab state than mm-hmm. the ready-to-go state than we thought starting in the red jersey. Um, so my guess would be I would have pegged that he would have been more into game action by now, uh, though it would not surprise me in the slightest should he play one or two of these final games. Uh, Victor Arvidsson was the biggest unknown, no doubt about it. Off-season mm-hmm. back surgery um, is as big of a phrase as it sounds. Um the fact that he's already in a non-contact jersey skating with the full group is a good sign. Um, the fact that he hasn't played an exhibition game yet is not unexpected based on what coaches have talked about, um, though it might cast a little bit of, of a doubt on his status for opening night, um, but not necessarily as long of a term timeline as others or we might have suggested or thought before. Um, so there's... And then, like you said, Cal Peterson, an injury that cost him a couple days. But if you look at where everyone's at through five games, Peterson has played one and a half games. Quick has played one and a half games. So they're on the same timeline in terms of game action. Um, So I I guess it it was probably a little bit less open-ended than when we talked about this originally because Mm -hmm. we know what Dursey and Arvidsson have done. We know that Walker has played two games. We know that Dowdy has gone unimpeded at all from his injury. Um, same with I follow. So good signs there and a, still a couple of unknowns regarding like will Sean Dersey or Victor Arvidsson be in the lineup on October 11th. And of course, injuries aren't the only ways that health can uh, influence a lineup. Quentin Byfield missed a couple of days with an illness. And that brings us to our next question. Will Quentin Byfield repeat the strong showing he gave at last year's camp? I am going to say yes, because in the limited uh, action we have seen him in, he has impressed Um, we said this at the, uh, at the rookie camp, but like for my money, every time Quentin Byfield plays, he just becomes more Quentin Byfield and the conversations just double to, you know, the people who say he's not scoring enough, double down harder. And the people say, yes, but he's making these strong moves. He's, you know, his game is growing. He's dominating, (laughs) you know, the praises get more emphatic and the people who want him to score 18 goals in four preseason games, uh, get louder. Your overview of him is was spot on at the time, and it still is. Um, obviously, with the illness, he hasn't maybe featured as much as we would have thought. Um, but I think that what he has shown in inter-squad scrimmages, in the preseason games he's played, in his practices, like he's the 3C if health is no object in a in a vacuum. Like he's the 3C on opening night. He's centering Iofalo and Kaliev. Like that line's together. Um, and that line is optimistic and exciting if 
they are together. So I think I agree with you. The answer is yes. Um, his status for opening night probably comes down to, you know, when he gets back into the full group, which you think will be pretty soon. And um, is he 100% ready to go? But if, if the answer to those questions are both yes, like he is in the lineup as the 3C, and I don't think there's much disputing that based on play and performance. The next question is a no so far, but the real question really hasn't had an opportunity to play out yet. And that is, will any players be claimed off of waivers? And at this point, we're looking at potentially the following players being candidates should another team uh, be interested in. Um, And this is not written in stone. This is just my read on the situation. Jacob Muverari, if he were to be assigned to Ontario, would need to clear waivers. Um, Jared Anderson-Dolan, Leish Anderson, and Gabriel Velarde, I think, are the only ones left in camp. Phoenix Copley. Right, thank um, you. Well. Yes, yeah, that is, goal. yeah, given that we just yeah. <laughs> literally yeah. have had goalies taken. Um, so there's 34 guys in camp, but four of those are not really roster considerations. They're still on the roster for injury or suspension reasons. You yeah. can't send them down. So we're really talking about seven players yeah. that need to – or seven decisions, I suppose, that need to be made. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Look, I, I think we've both agreed that like Gabe Velarde has played his way onto the team. I would think um, so. Were he exposed to waivers, I think there'd probably be a good chance that he was claimed. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Anderson, Anderson Dolan, Mo Barrara, There's you can see a case either way. Um, we're going to get to a day, I'm going to guess, where we're going to see a lot of players on waivers. We saw one the other day. They were like 25 guys on waivers, including TJ Tynan. Um but the, I guess the most interesting one on that list probably is Copley because you wouldn't have had the Ottawa Senators claiming a goaltender the other day and then their guy goes out for five to seven weeks and suddenly they do need to claim a goaltender and someone loses a guy. We saw it with Troy Grosnick mm-hmm. a few years ago when there was a situation that merited a goalie being claimed. They did it and you never know when it could happen, um, but we'll see. Um, we don't know which of those guys will actually be on waivers and what other players and other teams will be on waivers alongside them as comparables, but the goalie one is probably the most likely on paper just because of necessity. And uh, Rain Camp has opened. Matt Vallalta, Toby Bisson, Frederick Allard, Austin Wagner, and TJ Tynan all did clear waivers uh, and were assigned to Ontario. The next question on our list, what will Power Play 1 look like to start the season? I feel like we've just begun to get a real clear sense uh, yeah. of that, and I would it looks pretty good so far. So far, so good, right? The, yeah. the question mark on TP1 is, will Victor Arvidsson play? Yep. Um, he has skated with Kopitar, Fiala, Kempe, and Doughty on PP one When it's not been Arvidsson, it's been Velarde. So odds are that one of those two guys will be RW2 on opening night and also PP1. Um, but you're seeing some different concepts from that unit. You're seeing a lot of movement from that mm-hmm. unit. And you've seen, at one point, the Kings scored five straight goals that were all power play goals in preseason games. And they weren't doing much five on five, but they were scoring a lot of power play goals, which is an inverse from last year. But so far, so good. And the oversimplification is Dowdy at the top, Kopitar on the left wall, uh, Fiala in the middle, I guess, Kempe on the right. Uh, and then Velarde has been uh, the net front yep. guy in games, but Victor Arvidsson has played that spot in practice yeah. sometimes. And the, the cool thing with Fiala Kempe is they've been very interchangeable. Yep. Like, if you look at that goal in Anaheim, Velarde's power play goal, Fiala touched the puck at the right point. He then skated below the goal line, drew a man to him below the goal line, and then shuffled his way into the slot 
So in like a 12 second span, like he legitimately played three positions out of five on the power play, which is pretty cool. I don't think we saw as much no. interchangeability and movement last year. And that's been the takeaway for me. It happens on the breakout and the zone entry too. Dowdy enters the, the play to enter the zone. Now they have Kopitar and whether it's Velarde or Arvidsson on the opposite sides of the rink at the attacking blue line, Dowdy enters the zone. And then this is not the only breakout they have, but it's mm-hmm. one of the most common ones. And then he drops it back to either Kempe and Fiala. And I've noticed that sometimes they then crisscross yeah. once they receive the puck on the breakout. And then yeah. when they enter the zone, they're moving it around. So yeah, lots of movement, yeah. lots of options. And talking with Kempe about it, he said like, it's nice when you, cause on, on the breakout, you don't know where your entry point's going to be. You have to read it. So it's a good thing to have guys, not glued to one position because maybe the breakout takes Kevin Fiala to the left corner and he doesn't, they don't have to get set up and wait for Kevin Fiala to get back to the right side of the umbrella. They can adjust and adapt. And that that's been really good. I think it should provide on paper, at least more offensive opportunities for the power play. Yeah, it looks good. Next question, who will step up and fill Arvidsson's role? Uh, it appears to be Gabe Velarde at the moment. Yeah. Gabriel Velarde. Gabe, Gabriel G. <laughs> However, you have you want to refer yeah. to him. Um, he's clearly risen into that position. Uh, Phil Deneau, Trevor Moore have said nice things about him. Todd McClellan been very complimentary of his his game and his his enthusiasm and all of his attributes so far in camp. Um, and the question is, it's not who will fill that spot; it's whether Victor Arvidsson will fill that spot, yeah. right? As, as you've pointed out several times, like we're still six days out and no one's been like he's not playing this game yet. So right. <laughs> it's probably yeah. his spot if he's. It is his spot if he's healthy, um, and if not, it'll be it'll be Gabe Velarde. Question number two: Will Fiala, Kopitar, and Kempe look as good as we hope it will? Uh, it's been a tough evaluation for everybody in the roster because nobody other than Brant Clark has played every game. Yeah, um, but I will say this: the ceiling of Fiala, Kopitar, and Kempe looks better than I had hoped. Yeah, I mean, three. The the unknown was how Fiala would fit in there. Like mm. we've seen what Kopitar and Kempe can bring. Fiala has looked the part so far, the way that he skates with the puck, the way that he protects the puck and moves his feet, his ability, his skill has all been very good. Um, I think that we just in general need to exercise patience with line chemistry. Like these, even Kopitar Kempe only played a half season together, maybe two thirds last year. And now they're adding a new piece who's never been a part of this organization. So Three good players. The question will be how they gel together. Um, I think they've earned so far the chance to do that in the regular season. And if it doesn't work, then you see what the other lines are doing and you readjust. It's specialized examples, but on the power play and then again last night against the Ducks with the extra attacker with the goalie pulled. And again, it's man advantage in both cases, so I get it. It's not five on five, but the... Hustle, for lack of a better word, you know, keeping plays alive, keeping the puck in, make you know, retrieving yeah. loose pucks. Like the three of them seem to work really well together, um, in my mind. And that was sort of my concern: was not, you know, are they all offensively gifted? We know they are. Right. It was going to be little things. And Yala applies his skating into those areas very well. Like yeah. he back checks very hard. He attacks pucks very hard. And I, I didn't know because I didn't watch him. Like yeah, no, same. We've watched yeah. Kempi and Kopitar, so. Good signs there. It's he's not a perimeter speed skill guy. Like he'll use his speed and his skill in like a straightforward way and in the unappealing ways 
if you will, and, and that's good. I don't know if it's communication or instinct, but they seem to play off of each other. It's rare that you see two guys going to the same spot or collide. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a loose puck and one guy's in motion and the other guy's collecting it at his feet, they seem to flow in the correct way. Yeah. Um, last question, and we were all in agreement, you, me, and Jack Jablonski, who starts game one in net, and I'm not prepared to change my answer. Nope. It was Jonathan Quick. Yep, I think that's the same. Um, I think that was the case going in, and I think that – I mean, Quick's allowed two goals from five periods, and he's looked quite sharp so far. And yep. I think the question that we should be asking as we talked about is who starts game two. Right. Right? I think I think at this point, it's it's 32 in game one, and we'll see how that goes. And then we ask the question going into game two. Yeah. So two games left and a little less than a week left before training camp officially ends and the regular season officially starts. We will have our 10 questions for the rest of the season, for the real season, coming up soon. But I wanted to uh, revisit this before before we ran out of time. So thank you for joining me, Zach. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll be introducing Eric Stevens in just a little bit. Joining me now, new Kings writer for The Athletic, Eric Stevens. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm well, Jesse. How are you doing? I'm excellent, thank you. Now, I know you from before your time as a Kings <laughs> covering The Athletic. Um, many hockey fans in the Southland will. But for those who don't, Let's just go through your history. <laughs> How long do we have here? <laughs> I mean, as long as it takes. So let's just start with... I tend it. to talk and ramble, so I, I need to check myself in my head. <laughs> That's the format. That's yeah. perfect. Um, so where did you grow up? I actually grew up here in Southern California. I'm, uh, I'm a South Bay resident. Uh, grew up in Carson. I actually live uh, live there now and uh, you know, kind of circled, uh, moved into different areas uh, around with my wife and then, uh, you know, and then find a home back where we kind of started uh but yeah no I'm I'm a native and um really just you know got my start I've I've, I've worked for a number of different uh news outlets um you know some some may even have the daily breeze way back in the day oh, yeah, wow. uh so the daily breeze worked in Santa Monica for a time and then got on with the Los Angeles Times and um then the Orange County Register and now obviously with the Athletic but uh did did what a lot of sports writers uh, did, which is you know covered a lot of preps, worked a lot on the desk, did a lot of uh, uh, agate or what we call you know shifts where you you put the uh, old statistics statistical page together in the newspaper, um, and then college sports, and then uh, right uh, in two thousand five, um, uh, I, I credit Bill Bill Dwyer with uh, uh, you know seeing me as a possibility uh, of covering my first pro beat and. That would have been uh, covering the Anaheim Ducks in the 2005 for the Times, and um, you know, for the most part, until now, uh, been uh, been covering them uh, ever since, and we'll still be doing it uh, as I'm also covering the uh, this new en- endeavor now, and in, 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 you know, taking on the uh, Kings beat. We'll try not to hold the Ducks history against you, but uh, your Twitter handle, I think, is at Iceman Cometh, right? It is. Now, is that just a random? ice pun or is that because of the ducks inaugural game entertainment package that included it was just one game only a guy on the zamboni and silver face man who called himself the Iceman. <laughs> the Iceman. man oh boy yeah that which lasted i think uh, I don't, i'm not sure he even went lasted two periods for him yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or so that was an ill-fated endeavor mm-hmm. no you know what jesse the actually the the irony is is um, when I first got on Twitter, which I think would have been, oh man, maybe 2008 or, or so, 2009, I, I just went with that as a lark. That, that was, that was a nickname given to me. Actually, I was, I was, uh, you know, just called the Iceman in, in, uh, in high school. 
by by a friend of mine. Okay. And uh, and then another friend of mine who's who's a you know one of my best friends to this day kind of you know took it to another stratosphere <laughs> and just had and, and pretty much everyone was calling me Iceman at the time. And I don't know what it's what it was for. It really had nothing to do actually with. You know, with hockey or being, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, on, on an ice rink or, or or anything. I guess just my kind of my nature and just being a, you know, most of the time a, a fairly cool customer, a smooth guy. Except except deadline. Sure. <laughs> so if you get put on the Ducks beat in, would you say two thousand five? Yeah. What was your exposure to hockey before that? You know, that, that's a great question, Jesse, uh, because. I re- I remember and recall like my first time watching hockey was watching the Kings way back in the day like like many you know fans here in Southern California that were probably you know exposed to them I, I remember watching uh, I want to say like maybe the in, in the late uh, or mid to late seventies or so I, I watched many games where the Triple Crown line was you know tearing it up um, you know and and really. You really, really put the Kings on the map, you know, so to speak, in, in, in terms of a broader, more national, you know, national scale where, where, where people across the, you know, you know, both the United States and Canada were, were aware of what, you know, Charlie Simmer and Marcel Dion and Dave Taylor were accomplishing on a nightly basis. Um, so, you know, really, that was my first real introduction. But I would really credit my, you know, interest and you know, even developing love for the game, um, like many others, 1980, you know, you know watch, watching the, uh, you know, the U.S., uh, you know, hockey team, the Miracle on Ice, you know, just capturing myself and millions of others, <laughs> you know, across uh, across the, this country of ours. Um, and, 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 so, and so even over the years, even over the decades since whatsoever, you know, there'd be years where I maybe followed more than others, or, or whatsoever, but I always, you know, I always kind of had an interest in the game and knew who the stars were, and and uh, you know, and even some of the, you know, you know, the more, you know, the personalities in the game or whatsoever. I I always maintained an interest over the decades, even before that, and and maybe in in some way that 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 sort of helped, um, you know, as I transitioned to covering actually covering it, uh, you know, and covering the sport for a living. Let's talk about how you cover it because one of the conversations that I frequently find myself having, I won't go so far as to call it a fight, but <laughs> conversations, is that the way hockey is covered in Southern California doesn't really have parallels, I don't think, to how any other sport is covered in most other markets. You know, if you go to Canada, hockey is – it's culture it's it, part of their it's life it's the part of the fabric yeah exactly you can't escape it and right. if and if you live in southern california you know if the lakers you know if if one player on lakers roster gets food poisoning or a dodger player gets a hangnail or a rams player you know shoe falls off in practice like it's gonna get covered right. here it's you know well you and i are having this conversation and and we're doing it in the offices of the la kings because we we cover ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a long way of getting to the real question, which is I hear the phrase humans over highlights a lot lately. The, it's the idea being that like human interest stories are more interesting to fans than, you know, X's and O's type stuff. But in a market where there isn't any X's and O's coverage, uh-huh. 
there's hunger for both. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, like, when and now that you're covering two teams, you know, do you have any idea how you're going to try and attack um, your beat? In yeah, that? you know what? I, no, that's a it's a great question, Jesse, and and I think that's something that um, you know, like you said, it, it, it it's sort of a fight within. I mean, we all have sort of that internal fight, <laughs> you know, within ourselves in terms of um, what we want to accomplish and how we're going to go about it. Um, I, I think there's room for all sorts of viewpoints in terms of how to cover it. Like, look, I'll make no bones about it. Um, I enjoy storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, that, that's sort of the aspect that I, um, you know, really appreciate and, and enjoy the most. I mean, I, I like writing the big feature as much as anybody because, yes, you, you go beyond um, the X's and O's. You go beyond the numbers. You know, you really kind of try to get into, you know, how how this uh, individual, uh, you know, thinks. What drove him? What, uh, you know, what, what 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 things that he had to go up against? What the, what what obstacles that that he had to push by? You know, the family behind it. And I thoroughly enjoy that aspect of it, and I'll make no bones about it. But you know, there is there is an appetite. No no question. For those who really want to dig in, you know, into, well, why is player X um, on on the power play? You know, it, it doesn't seem like to add up. Maybe there is aspects in his game that makes him work um, well with, say, others or so. Maybe, you know, he may not be the one that puts up the numbers, but, but there's an aspect to his game that makes him be able to connect um, uh, and make that power play flourish, uh, you know, whatsoever. Um, you know, there is room for to have, you know, to, to, to cover more than any degree. And that's something that I myself am even evolving more into. I will make, I will make that say the, the dominant part of my coverage, but you know, there, there will be times when, um, I will look at doing, you know, more of an, an just an analytical story and weaving some of that into it, uh, because there there is an appetite. There, there are people that, that that really you know want to want that the nuts and bolts, um, you know, type of uh, of thing of, of of why a coach makes that you know will make that decision at that moment uh, in, in time. And as we've come to see, uh, as we're coming to see more and more whatsoever, there are elements there. Are, there are underlying metrics and and, and things or whatsoever that help maybe shape that decision. So you and I were just in immediate availability with Todd McClellan. I asked him a question. I didn't really get the answer that I was looking for. I got a much lo- a great answer about a subject that I didn't think I would ask about, but I'm glad he gave the answer he gave. But I'm going to ask you the same question or a version of the same question. When you started covering the team on a beat in 2005, smartphones had not yet hit the market. Social media did not yet exist. Comment sections were, you know, a mysterious land visited by a, you know, small handful of devotees. Now I see, you know, you're doing stuff on the athletic, right? Where you'll post two sentences and then, you know, the comment section explodes around, you know, I don't know what you guys call it, an update, a highlight, whatever. Yeah. We call it like our real time. Right. Yeah. Function. But I mean, which, like, which is still it, it's it's in a way in a bit in its infancy in terms of people being aware of that. But right. yeah, the things that the 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 the, the little things that don't necessarily require a wide you know large mm-hmm. story on, but they're you know they're news updates and stuff. But I mean, there used to be an editor's 
page. There used to be like a letter section in the LA Times. You know, I'd read it every morning, sure. and it would be two weeks later. You know, why was Rain Gretzky? You know, uh-huh. blah blah blah. And, you know, it's instantaneous now. Yeah. So how does that change? Uh, your like, do you ever hear those voices in your head? You know, if you're writing something, do you anticipate like, oh, the comment section's gonna? Wow. Yeah. You know, you think about it, but you don't think about it, you know, because (laughs) I guess with me, if you worry about so much about what people will say, you know, and and cloud more and more of your thoughts, uh, you know, whatsoever, I I find myself, then then you'll, you'll, you'll feel a little stunted and, and, and then, and and that's not what you're, you're there for. You're, you're there to provide information. Now, for instance, it's interesting that you bring this up, Jesse, because, um, yes, we have so, so many outlets now, you know, Twitter is one that obviously, you know, I certainly use, but there are many more outlets beyond that, you know, whatsoever. I know, like, for instance, when I, you know, when we, you know, when I'm able to find out if somebody's sick, if Twin Bifo is sick or, or if someone is injured or, or whatsoever, I know I've taken the tact and maybe it's the, it may not be the right one because I know that people, you know, Twitter followers are going to want that, you know, immediately on there. But I, I look at it but myself is at The Athletic, we've, we've got people, you know, we, we're literally supported by people who pay for our product. Yes, yes, it's it's much more, you know, it, it's, we're not the only one, okay? You, you've got to pay for newspapers now. You've got to, you know, you, you've got to pay for other stuff. There's, there's not as much free, quote unquote, things that are out there. But, but still, we have, you know, we have people that support, literally support our, our product by paying for it. I feel like I've got to give that to them first, as opposed to, yes, you know, you know, that there is Twitter, but, you know, frankly, I'm not seeing stuff from, you know, sure. every other week from <laughs> yeah. Twitter. I, I, I'm not seeing a paycheck from them, right. you know. But, I mean, that's my duty to my readers, you know. And I'm and, and we have a function where we can do that at the same time. We can put it on Twitter at the same time. And, yeah, there are instances when news will break out. Um, and, it's you know, it's, it's going to go everywhere. So, it's a judgment thing. It's a, it's a balancing act, you know, you know, without question. And... You know, and Jesse, I might be doing what Todd is doing and saying a lot without <laughs> no, really answering without really answering your question. But um, you know, as far as I know, one thing I try to be very careful. I try to actually really think before I post stuff. You know, the, yeah, when I tweet, there, there are instances when well, sometimes I'll just you know go go stream of consciousness on the Dodgers or, or UCLA or whatsoever. But uh, but you know, when it comes to you know my beats and, and the things that I do, you know, for my job, I really try to think you know carefully before I hit that you know that blue send you know that sudden send button or that blue button or whatsoever because I realize and uh, that there are a lot of people you know uh, that do follow me that. That do you know want to uh, you know uh, you know that that I'm one of the you know you know the, the the sources that they look to to gain information and 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 whatnot. So um, it's something that you know I I I don't just do you know randomly. I I I put some thought into it before um, you know before sending because you know ultimately I don't want to be wrong. So okay. Ultimately, I don't want to be wrong. I don't. I don't want to be wrong about stuff, and 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 I hate when I you know. Uh, hopefully, I keep that to a very you know, um, you know, 
you know, a distinct minimum or, you know, of, of times when that happens. But ultimately, I don't want to be wrong. I'm glad you said that. I'm really glad you said that because I've been um, struggling is not the right word because I don't, you know, it, it agitated. Let's, let's say I've been <laughs> agitated because in, as I said, in this market where there is very little coverage, um, it leads to periodic booms in independent coverage. And the last one that I can really remember was around 2007. Um, the times, the daily news, you know, stopped sending beat writers on the road. Mm -hmm. And at one point in time, and apologies to listeners who've heard me run over these stats before, at one point in time, my bookmarks tab on my browser had 24 Kings blogs on it, all independent, none of them credentialed, probably, probably nobody with a journalistic background (laughs) on them. Um, some of them are still around today. Mayor's Manor is still around today. Um, Rich Hammond, you know, went on to be, you know, to found the LA Kings Insider for the LA Kings. We're now on our third um, iteration of that. I guess Frozen Royalty is still around. And I think that's probably it. Right. The rest of them sort of fell by the wayside over time as people's lives and careers got in the way. Yeah. We're now seeing a new boom. And now the podcasts have become more prevalent. We're seeing a new boom in it. Podcasting is way easier than writing. That's why I got into it, Mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that there's all these independent institutions and now that it's easier than ever, there doesn't appear to be that concern about being wrong as frequently in my mind, because it's easy to be immediate and, and because there isn't this, there's no internal, yeah. um, now I'm just complaining. I apologize to everybody listening. <laughs> but be, there's no institutional um, gatekeeping. There's right. no editorial yeah, process. Exactly. There's That's no consequences. So you can, so for example, and this is just my pet peeve, and now I'm just totally unleashing <laughs> on you. But the the number that I kept seeing was That's one. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for yeah, It's just yeah, my yeah, therapy yeah, session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, every, but I heard it repeated at least half a dozen times in the different places. Um, $1.5 million in cap space was what people were saying the Kings had before Anderson and Jersey signed because Cap Friendly listed $1.5 million in their cap space. Uh-huh. Even though that ag- information was not inaccurate as it was presented. Nobody bothered to notice or relay the co- like the context of that information, which was that mm-hmm. Cap Friendly had eight defensemen on the roster plus Walker and Dowdy on IR. Right. The 1.5 number was meaningless. It was not nothing, but right. But it, but it got repeated so frequently that it just became part of the conversation. It's it's it's, it's well, but and and calf friendly is a signpost and and a well regarded one. But you're right. It, 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 that's a that's a very good point. Um, and even I got reminded of, of that. Um, and in fact, someone that you know, I, I, a source that I that um, that I talked to, um, you know, on occasion, you know. Reminded me of such, and, and and in fact, what I do now in that specific instance is I refer to cap friendly as like like an, referring to the figure. I refer to it as an estimate mm-hmm. because that's what it is. Yes, it's close, but it's not ex- but it's not exact because, like you said, of there may you know be in instances where if you you know okay if you count you know this player, but if you don't count that player, that's gonna that's gonna adjust the number. Whatsoever. So, yeah, providing context is huge. I I try to I try to do that 
not only whether just speaking to people or just, you know, but especially writing, because that's what I do whatsoever, is, is to try to provide context, uh, you know, with it, you know, in instance, because um, it's easy to, the, the easy thing is just to point to, um, you know, a, um, you know, a, a, a website, a, a, a number. You know, we, we all prefer the, you know, something that you can just go really right, you know, really to as a reference point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or whatsoever. Um, whereas in reality, it's not always that, you know, clear cut, uh, you know, or, or clearly decisive. But but that's, you know, that's kind of how we are as a society, you know, in, in some instances. And, and to your point about, you know, what's. The, that there's not, I guess there's more tolerance for um, incorrect information. <laughs> That's a real polite way of saying you know? it. <laughs> <laughs> or whatsoever. Uh-huh. Um, not to get all, <laughs> not to get all, you know, I'm certainly not trying to be political by any means here sure. whatsoever, but I think that's just how our society is just, you know, in some ways has become it. it it's something I don't like to see. I'd like to still think that truth matters in anything. <laughs> yeah, like truth is, you know, above all with whatever you're referring to. So I know, won't get whatsoever. political, but I'll get philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I no, agree but, with you. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it, it's, tr- it is, it's, it's troubling. Um, you know, and I, I, I wish I had a, a, a real great, clear, you know, answer to that. I know that I, I guess my thing is is that if you if you care about quality, maybe not maybe not everyone that listens or reads or whatsoever necessarily cares about it, but I, I still hold to the belief that if you care about the product that, that, that you're putting out and you put quality into it um, and you get details right. And um, you, you know, and and you do it at a level that people will respect. I, I, I still think that that sort of shines through. And maybe that's, you know, like you said, make, you know, the blogs and, and the things, thing, things have always evolved and, and people have their stuff that's going on and whatsoever. And um, But I think ultimately, I, th- I still want to believe that most people will see that. You know that they, they they will see that you're devoted to your craft, that you're serious about it, um, that you're serious about getting things right, um, that you're serious about doing it in a way that's going to entertain uh, people as well as inform. I think ultimately, in in, in whatever form that you do it, that'll shine through. Because because in the end, I I still want to believe that people appreciate quality. I try not to harp on it too much because I got my start on one of those two dozen independent blogs, and we all got to get our wound, wound up yeah, here. Yeah. So, but I mean, I don't have a degree in journalism or anything, and then I find myself lecturing other people about. My, but uh, you put in, but you put in the work, though. Well, so you're here. So the mantra That's the thing. you're he, you're here. You know, not to get off in on tangent, mm-hmm. but but I mean, you you you're here every day. You you you're in it. You know, you're not just in your bedroom or your office or whatsoever, just ranting. You, 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 you know, you, you put the time in, you invest in it. And so that, that eventually comes through. That's why 
Well, the mantra people one listen. of that's why people listen. <laughs> one of the mantras of the show, but the primary one for me is that happiness is measured by expectations. And in order to have realistic expectations to better regulate your happiness, you need to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I come at it from. Mm-hmm. I could sit here and tell everybody that Martin Chromiak is going to be, you know, a Calder tr- trophy winner this year and it's going to be amazing and he's going to score 50 goals and he's going to have a Hall of Fame career. But the reality is I have no idea. So I'm not going to say it. Right. Because then when it doesn't happen, there's a bunch of people going, yeah, what happened, man? Like, of course, you know, I got I already bought right. my Martin Chromiak jersey. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Um, and but, you know what? And you know what? I honestly think, though, and particularly with, I, I would say, with hockey mm-hmm. in particular, um, people see through see see that they will see see if you're just spouting off, people will see through that and they'll call you out on it. And in in a, in a way, that's refreshing because that kind of keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. You can't just you can't just put anything out there or just you know just spout off whatever. Yeah, you know there are people that'll. That'll appreciate because, you know, people like opinions. People love opinions. I got plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, but but there are those who, you know, I don't mean to, I don't want to use it. I don't want to curse. <laughs> but there are people who will just say stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. They will just say stuff. And, and then there are others who will have a strong opinion. But you know that there's something behind it. That 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 you know that okay, this guy knows knows what he's talking about. Um, all right, let's talk about the Kings. Uh, but before we do that, who's got the better fans, Kings or Ducks? <laughs> <laughs> I won't make you answer that one. <laughs> Uh, but let's talk about the Kings because one of the ways that I am sort of doing the whole happiness is measured by expectations thing is I think the Kings could be actually clearly better and still struggle to make the playoffs, potentially even miss them. And it won't have anything to do with how good they are. It'll have everything to do with the rest of the division. Yeah, that's a good point. Where do you see the Kings uh, not going to make the playoffs because we have eight, seven other yeah, teams right. to worry about, but like, how do you see them as far as uh, their improvement? Or no, I, 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 I'm with you on that. I, I think, look, the Pacific has been rightly dogged, okay, um, for at least you know the last co- you know couple of years, and, and, and uh, honestly, probably you know maybe not so coincidentally, since the dip in in in, in the three California teams, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I think that's factored into that, and, and and why it's been the quote unquote weak or weakest division whatsoever. But I, I honestly think it's going to be better than and more competitive than many people say or or, or realize. Um, is it the best division? No, it's not. But but I, I mean, you see it now. I mean, you know, Edmonton is now you know firmly in that position of you know they they they've got to be competing for a cup here. Obviously, you know they've got two of the big you know biggest stars on the planet. You know they've got to be making their push while they're in their prime years. But you see how Calgary's, you know, what the, the way how. how Brad Treliven Tree uh, was able to rescue that situation, which was mighty impressive. Um, Vancouver is going to be in play. I'm not a big believer quite yet, just just yet in them. But you know, with with Bruce Boudreau, we've seen what he's done with other teams, especially in year two. Too he year two is when his teams tend to take off. Um, so I yeah I, I agree that um, I, I I think it will be a tougher road 
for the Kings. But that's not to say that they can't, you know, travel it and, and get back into the playoffs because, you know, the, the, the Kings are starting uh, their, what I call their, their arc. You know, you, you see these arcs that, that, that teams go through where they're starting to contend, you know, and, and, then they, and then they are, you know, and then they have their shots at winning a cup and then they, you know, and then there's the backside of that arc. Well, this is the beginning of another one here. Um, now, they need certainly, what I see is in particularly some of those younger players, you know, some someone's out of that younger group has got to, you know, be a more of an impact player. Um, and not necessarily a star. I mean, you know, this, this, this team is still going to be led by Andre Kopitar and, and, and Drew Doughty. And, um, you know, and, and, and as we've seen now, you know, Phil Deneau, uh, you know, you know, players of, you know, players that, you know, key veterans of that nature, Jonathan Quick, you know, still, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see if Cal Peterson, it will, will be able to bounce back, maybe take some of those starts back away from, uh, you know, from Quick, um, if, if he's able to put together a strong season, which I think will benefit everyone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, frankly, um, but, but it's, it's, it's among that younger group. It's, you know, it's, it's Quinn Byfield, you know, it's, um, you know, uh, Arthur, Kaliev, you know, is he, you know, at that point to taking his next step, you know, is it young, younger guys that are able to now, you know, maybe fill in uh, Erasmus Kapari, is, is, is he going to be able to, um, you know, be somebody that, uh, that by the end of the year, someone that maybe you can count on, on a regular basis or whatsoever. I think that's what's going to really kind of help drive this group here over the next year or two or so. In terms of being able to see, can they take that step now to just being able to, you know, to be a, a, a nice surprise that that you know had a lot going for it, that, that, you know, that that has a you know great work ethic and a good system that uh, you know Tom McClellan and, and his staff have put in place. Are they going to be able to, you know, now go from that to be now a team a real threat in the playoffs, a, a team that you can see? maybe getting to the conference final, maybe in a couple of years or so, making that push for for the cup, you know, that that it was like when back in 2010 or 2011 or so, when you saw that group, you know, start to start to take off and then become the one that's, you know. Yeah, that happened a lot faster than I think most people were, were prepared for. <laughs> um, there's a little thought experiment that I've been doing with everybody. Um, and the idea is basically – Every team, every year going into the season, there's a bunch of ifs. You know, if Cal Peterson yeah. becomes the goalie they want him to, if yeah. Arthur Kaliev builds on his strong, you know, if, if, and if, if he if, has if. too many ifs, yeah, that's the key. You're so, right. so the question is if all of the ifs mm-hmm. go right, which of course never happens for any team ever, but if all of the question marks for the Kings turn out positive, what is the ceiling of this team? Right now, you know, right now, I would say that there's still maybe one, maybe one more piece, big piece away from, say, cup winning, mm. you know, or playing for the cup mm. or whatsoever. At least one, at least one, perhaps two, whatsoever. Again, that's where, and, and what does that piece have to come from the outside? Obviously, Kevin Fiala is one that they brought in. And we will see how you know, not you know how he meshes. You know, I, you know, there, there's another one of the ifs, mm-hmm. a potential 
big top line if you know if they can you know that that chemistry holds whatsoever it, it could be one of the better you know top lines of the league it won't it won't be the best okay but 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 it could be, could be. a very potent one <laughs> yeah no, it could be a very potent one um and then and that's one of the things that um this organization has you know needed because again there's a a lot, a lot of worker bees, a lot, a lot of you know, guy, dutiful, you know, players, you know, that that play the right way, um, you know, play, you know, play strong two way games. Um, you see the effort on most nights, uh, you know, whatsoever. But you, you still need those dominant, you know, game breakers. You know, what you saw Drew Doughty when he was in his prime, you know, or, or Jonathan Quick in 2012, you know, or you, you know, or, or even Andre Kopitar, whatsoever. You still need those type of players, um, uh, you know, to, to win. So I, as it's as it looks right now, uh, it's a very it's a quality team, no doubt, hardworking team, whatsoever. And, and I think one that can certainly get back into the playoffs. I do think though that maybe that there's still a, maybe another score. One more score away, or, or, or so, um, maybe you know, uh, someone also to develop, say, on that on that third line. If this if this third line becomes really becomes something this year, we know that the top two lines are are, are set. They're, they're they're good. That third line really becomes sort of a difference maker. Then I think you, that's where you can see where this group is able to take that next step. And win rounds, win around in, in the playoffs, or so. That that to me, I, I'll, I'll be really. And, and as we can see, you know, Quinn, Quinn Byfield is is sort of at the heart of that. And and, and you know, and, and and so watching how he develops, watching how that line develops, and, and whatsoever, that's going to be one of the real interesting things that that I'm going to be watching out for. He might not be the biggest if, but he might be the most important if. Yeah. And, and and to your point, if you have two, if, if there's too many ifs, mm-hmm. yeah, chances are there, there, yeah. chances are that 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 you know, uh, even if half of them were to go through, right. you, you're not going to get to where you want to go whatsoever. I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's, I really don't think that there's so many ifs with this group. Um, maybe one of the ifs is is where you're getting into, you know, the you're getting into the spring or so. And is one of the ifs if Rob Blake is going to add to this group? That'll definitely. So every year we do ten biggest questions heading into training camp, into the season, into the postseason, into the off season. And you know, will there be external help to improve the team? Is always one of those questions. Um, the reason we ask it though, you know, is for example, a team like San Jose. Even if all their ifs go right, right? If even if everything mm-hmm. breaks their way, they're still. What does it get you? Yeah, not much of a contender. Right. Whereas, you know, the consensus around here, obviously we're all biased, but the consensus around here is if everything goes the King's way, well, we might actually be a cup contender. Um, You know, not going toe-to-toe with some of the, you know, like Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, (laughs) but, you know, I think we can hang with Edmonton. Um, Eric, thank you very much for doing this. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. Thanks, Jess. Perfect.